0: Good morning! It is so good to be here with you, and so I bring greetings to you from our church in America, Calvary Chapel in Festus, and that is near the city of St. Louis, and that is the area that Josh grew up in, and that's the uh, area that he is from, and so it was, it's been a blessing uh, to get to know him and to uh, be part of Supporting him and Kelsey coming to uh, Africa and coming to Kenya uh, to start this church. And so I want you to know that you have a church family in America who loves you, who prays for you, and uh, who supports you and your, and your pastor and your leadership here at the church. And it's just such a blessing. This is now my fourth time being here. And uh, it's, it's a blessing. I really feel like. More the more I come here, the more I feel like I'm a part of this church. You guys are so loving. This congregation is so loving, and it's so easy to uh, to fall in love with the people here. And uh, yeah. And uh, you know it's, it's it's so funny because um, I remember the first time the first time I came, this church was in a different location, uh, in a in a a building that was on a top floor or an upper floor and then you all moved here built this and I came here and um, after one of the services Preston, Preston working up in the sound room Preston came to me at the back door and said would you pray for me I'm new here at this church and I would really like the Lord to use me and we prayed together And uh, now the Lord's using him greatly in this church to to do all the stuff that you see. And then the last time I was here, Collins, where's Collins? Is he back here in the back? Anyway, Collins uh, came up to me to say hi last year when I was here. And he had a young lady with him. And they walked up and we said hi. And I said, oh, I said, is this your girl? And he said, no, 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 nothing like that. We're just friends. And then earlier this year, he sends me a message on Facebook and says, uh, hey, you remember that girl that, uh, that you met that was standing with me? We're getting married. So anyway, what's going to happen this trip? I don't know. Anyway, it is just so good to be here. And I feel like family in this church. So I love you dearly, our church loves you dearly and, and, uh, and this time, for the first time, I have my wife, my beautiful bride of 33 years, Deanna Who is with me as well And so it's so good to have her to be able to see all that the Lord has done and is doing here at Calvary Chapel in Elder Red So God bless you all So if you would this morning, open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12 The book of Romans chapter 12 And here in Romans chapter 12 The Apostle Paul is instructing the Roman believers Regarding the the subject of Christian service And actually in this whole section of the book of Romans From chapter 12 all the way through chapter 15 Paul calls on all of us as believers To become living, giving, giving Loving, yielding, and willing sacrifices in order to serve our Lord and to serve others in a biblical and God-honoring way. And here in chapter 12, in verses 9 through 21, Paul commands all Christians to show love to everyone both inside and outside the church as loving sacrifices. That's what we are to be. Paul begins verses 9 through 21 with a basic idea about love. And then what he does is he expounds upon its meaning. What does real love mean? What does it look like? And in verse 9, if you would, look at verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, what he's actually saying there. And the basic idea about love that Paul gives here is to let your love be real, and not fake. Paul's command is for Christians to extend the same kind of love to others that God has extended to them. Then, beginning in the second half of verse nine, all the way to the end of uh, all the way to the end of the chapter, through verse twenty-one. Paul gives a series of exhortations that expound upon what it means to love without hypocrisy. What does that look like? How do we do that? And so what we're going to look at today is just one of those things in verse 16. And before we get there, I have a question for you. Has anyone ever heard of the untouchables? Have you ever heard that term? Well, what's interesting is there's a group of about 250 million people in India that make up about one-sixth of their total population called Dalits. The word Dalit means broken people. Dalits were formerly known in India as untouchables. Dalits live at the bottom of India's rigid social order as the caste system that originated around 3,000 years ago. Caste is determined by birth, not race, and it's based upon the Hindu belief that a person's position in life is based upon the good deeds and sins of their past life. In Hinduism, there are four major castes, and each caste has specific duties and privileges. The first, the Brahmins, make up the priests and the intellectuals. Second, the Shatir, uh, I'm not going to say this right, I'm sure. Uh, the Kshatriyas, that's how you say it. The Kshatriyas, that group is made up of soldiers and rulers. And then there's the Vash- uh, Vashyas. The Vashyas are the farmers, the traders, and the merchants. And the fourth, the Sudras. Those are the people who performed menial tasks like laborers. And then there are the Dalits, a fifth group created to perform tasks considered too menial or degrading to be performed by caste members. Dalits are so low in the social hierarchy that they are outside the caste system and considered outcasts. (laughs) Dalits are the manual scavengers, the removers of human waste and dead animals, leather workers, street sweepers, cobblers. The mere touch of a Dalit was considered polluting to a cast member. The mere touch of a Dalit... I'm sorry, I already said that, right? So what's interesting is the concept of untouchability was created or was formed because of the way these people were treated and the way they were looked at today Dalits endure segregation in housing schools and access to public services Dalits are denied access to land forced to work in degrading conditions and routinely abused by the police and upper caste members Dalits suffer discrimination in education, health care, housing, property, freedom of religion, freedom I'm sorry, free choice of employment and equal treatment before the law. They suffer routine violations of their right to life and security of person through state-sponsored or sanctioned acts of violence, including torture. Dalits suffer caste-motivating killings, rapes, and other abuses on a daily basis. And as for the members of the castes, the Dalits are considered... And treated as beneath them And not only Do the members of India's caste system Believe that there are people inherently beneath them But sadly members of the church of Jesus Christ Do as well Now you may say Hold on pastor I'm a Christian I don't believe that there are other people Who are beneath me And you know what? As a pastor, I would respond this way. I would say, but oh, you actually do. Listen, we all do to some degree or another. Just like the members of the caste system in India, all of us believe that there's someone out there who is beneath us. And that's why Paul says here in verse 16, look at your Bible, verse 16. Paul says, to the church at Rome, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Now, the verb tense for the words do not set your mind suggests stopping a, a, an action that's already in progress. In other words, Paul is saying that we all naturally consider some people a little bit beneath us. In fact, the word mind here is actually a verb. And it means to think, to ponder, or to consider. And the King James Version of the English Bible actually translates it best when it translates it this way. Paul says, mind not high things. And the words high things refer to those things that give a person an attitude of superiority over others. The Greek word that's translated high things here in our Bible is found in 11 verses in the New Testament. And most of the time, it describes something high like a mountain or sky. But in Luke 16, Jesus uses this word in the same manner as Paul is using it here. Let me read it to you. In Luke 16, in verse 13, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed, there's that word, among men, is detestable in the sight of God. So what is it that makes you feel superior to other people? For the Pharisees, it was money and self-righteousness, but what about you? What makes you feel superior to others? Is it the amount of money you make? Is it your own holiness and your self-righteousness? Is it your education? The fact that you went to university and you have a degree. Maybe it's your occupation. Maybe you have a prestigious job. Or it could be many other things. But let me ask you, what makes you feel Like others are inferior to to you or beneath you. Maybe it's their lack of money or economic status. Do you feel superior to the homeless person who's on the street begging for money? Or maybe it's your fellow employee that you work with that makes less money than you do. Or... Could it be your brother and sister in the Lord here at church that is in financial need? And if it's not that, then maybe it's their sin. Do you consider what we now call the LGBTQ individual? Do you look at them as being inferior to you? What about those in jail prison or the ex-convict, the people who have spent time in jail and prison? Or what about your fellow believer here in church who is struggling with a sin that you yourself aren't tempted with? Could it be their lack of education or possibly maybe the color of their skin? It could be a whole lot of things. In a paragraph in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, If anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. And the worst pleasure are, I'm sorry, all the worst pleasure are purely spiritual the pleasure of putting other people in the wrong and bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting, the, the pleasures of power, of hatred. For there are two things inside me com- competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the, bio- the diabolical self. And the diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why, listen, he writes and says, that is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, he writes, it. it's better to be neither. Listen, if we would all be honest before the Lord, there are people There's someone that we consider a little bit beneath us. And that's why Paul literally says here in verse 16, stop thinking on things that give you an attitude of superiority over others. In fact, Paul warned back in verse 3 of this chapter by saying, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And Paul tells us why we should stop thinking in this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, when he writes this, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he actually deceives himself. Now, there's an American writer by the name of Albert Hubbard who once wrote this. He said, There was one who thought himself above me, and he was above me until he had that thought. (laughs) Listen, when we fixate on things that cause us to feel superior to others and lead us to believe that others are beneath us, then we are deceiving ourselves. You know why? Because neither one of those are true. Neither one are true. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it comes to the body of Christ, no one is self-sufficient and no one is unnecessary. See? Now, some years ago, a man by the name of Ken Langley in Zion, Illinois, in the USA, shared this experience that he had. And I want you to listen he said this. He said, after worrying for about a half an hour that we wouldn't get on an overbooked flight, they were traveling somewhere, and we were worrying that we wouldn't get on this overbooked flight. He said, My wife and I were summoned to the check in desk at the airport. A smiling agent whispered that this was our lucky day. He was bumping us up to first class on the airplane. This was the first and the only time that we have been pampered on an airplane with good food and coffee and plenty of elbow room. We played a little game trying to guess, as we were sitting in first class, we were playing a little game trying to guess who else didn't belong here in first class. One man padded around the cabin in his socks, restlessly sampling magazines, playing with but never actually using the in-flight phones that were available. Twice he sneezed so loud that we thought the oxygen mask were going to drop down automatically. When the attendant brought the linen tablecloths for our breakfast trays, he tucked his into his collar like a bib. Then he observed, we see... I'm sorry. Then he said this. He said, we see misfits... At church too, people who obviously don't belong, people who, like that man on the airplane, embarrass us and cause us to feel superior to them. The truth is this, that we don't belong there any more than they do, see? I want you to notice, Paul ends the verse with another negative. Look at verse 16. He says, do not be wise in your own opinion. In other words, you're not all that, as we say in America, you're not all that and a bag of chips too. You're not as important as you think you are, and neither am I. In fact, how many of you have heard of, in America, have you heard of the state of Texas in the United States? You ever, have you ever heard of the state of Texas the state of Texas um, is one of the largest states as far as landmass in the United States. And in the United States, the, the saying is this, everything is bigger in Texas, okay? Everything is bigger in Texas. And so I want to tell you a story. One day, there was a rich Texan who drove into a gas station in the hills of the state of Tennessee out in the country. And he was wearing his big 10-gallon cowboy hat and his fancy cowboy boots. And he had diamond rings on both of his hands. And he was puffing a king size cigar. And he comes to the gas station and he tells the attendant to fill her up, fill it up with gas. And so he, he strolled inside the gas station and sitting over to one side of the room was sitting over there on a on a keg. Was actually a, a poor Tennessee farmer. And the Texan asked him. He said, uh, "Live around here?" "Yep," the farmer answered. He said, "That's my place across the road." "Oh, it is," said the Texan, condescend- condescendingly. "Well, tell me, how many acres of land do you got?" "Oh, about eight acres." More or less. Only eight acres, scoffed the Texan. Well, let me tell you about my place. He says, why? You know what? I can get into my pickup truck early in the morning and start driving in a straight line. And by 12 noon, I still haven't reached the other side of my land. He then he looks at the farmer and he says, so what do you think about that? Yep, I know what you mean, the the old poor Tennessee farmer replied. He said this. He said, you know, I used to have a truck like that myself. (laughs) Now Paul, as he does in so many other places in the New Testament, he not only instructs us as what we should not do, but he also exhorts us as to what we should do instead. Here in verse 16, Paul not only gives us two negatives, but he also gives us two positives. Instead of thinking on things that cause us to feel superior to others and to lead us to believe that others are beneath us, we should rather, number one, look at the verse, look what he says. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. This literally means to to think the same thing with respect to one another, Another way to put it is that we should be impartial towards one another or toward others. And this is spelled out for us very clearly in James chapter 2. So real quick, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, from Romans 12. Turn to James chapter 2. That's a small epistle in the back of your New Testament. James chapter 2. And we're just going to read a little scripture here. I want you to look at verse 1. And James writes and says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel... And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, hey, you sit here in a good place. But you say to the poor man, you stand there. Or sit here at my footstool. And have not shown partiality, I'm sorry, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor man do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts do, not, do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture which is you shall love your neighbors yourself you do well But if you show partiality, that means favoritism, right? He says, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then he says, because mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow, what strong words from the brother of Jesus, James here, concerning partiality and favoritism and the way we treat others based on what they have or what they do. One day in America, Robert E. Lee was riding on a train to Richmond, Virginia. The general was seated at the rear and all the other places were filled with officers and soldiers. An elderly woman, poorly dressed, entered the coach at one of the stations. Having no seat offered to her, she trudged down the aisle to the back of the train car. Immediately, General Lee stood up And he gave her his seat. No, gentlemen, he said. Or I'm sorry, immediately after that, after he gave her the the seat. One man after another then rose up to give the general their seat, see. And then Lee said, no, gentlemen. He said, if there is none for this lady, then there can be none for me. The point that James is making here is instead of playing favorites based upon the things that men, that we hold in high esteem, like wealth and position, James says, treat everyone the same. Why? Well, first of all, number one, because Proverbs 22.2 two says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Everyone should be treated with dignity and worth. Because they all, all of us, were created in the image of our Maker. And second is because their Maker became their Savior. Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 1. He says in verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Listen, we all need to remember this one point, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It is is Jesus who has created us and has created us in His image. And then because He loved us, no matter how much we sinned, He came and He died for us. It became our Savior. Why? Because He loves every single one of us. If you would, turn back with me to Romans chapter 12 as we conclude and we finish Romans chapter 12 because Paul has another exhortation here he has another positive something else for us to do as believers notice in this verse in verse 16 Paul exhorts us also to associate with the humble what's interesting is here in the Greek the word that's translated humble can either be a masculine or a neuter noun. And that's important because, listen, if it's a neuter, then the translation should read, give yourself to humble tasks. Give yourself to humble tasks. (laughs) In other words, don't think of yourself to be too important to do the lowly things like change diapers in the nursery or clean the toilets in the bathroom don't think that you're too important for that Warren Wiersbe once said this he said you can never be too small for God to use but you can be too big but if this word is masculine then it should be taken this way associate with humble people humble people Yeah, like the ones that you and I sometimes consider to be beneath us. You know, our Lord Jesus modeled this for us in the Gospels. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he associated with the untouchables, didn't he? Jesus associated with the untouchables in his society, he touched lepers. He ate with sinners. He is a Jewish man and a rabbi actually ministered to women. And some very sinful women at that. And he also blessed children. He blessed children. When his disciples told the children, get away from the master. He's he's too busy and he's too important. Jesus took the little children into his hands and he blessed them. Do you remember that? So church, listen, the reason I'm sharing this message with you this morning is because God has both positioned this church and he has also now provided this church with the opportunity to reach the untouchables in Eldoret. Do you realize that? God has put it on your pastor's heart to build a home and to build homes for all of these unwanted children who have no food and who have no home and have no parents. The Lord has put it on your pastor's heart to provide a home for women in distress who can be rescued from their dangerous situations. And God has provided for this church and for Great Commission's ministries land right here at Eldoret to build all these things. So I'm sharing this message with you to help prepare you for what God wants to do with you and through you to further reach everyone in Eldoret. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to do whatever it takes to be like your Lord Jesus and to start considering no one beneath me but realizing Jesus has put you here as the body of Christ to reach them for him? Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word today and thank you so much for loving us all that you sent your Son to provide forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all of us, no matter what condition, state, position that we are in. And Father, we thank you as those you have redeemed that you have given us your Holy Spirit and you have given us the love of your Son so that you can use us to continue to reach out to those who need you most. Father, I pray for this church that you would continue to bless everyone here. Father, that you continue to provide and that you would prepare them for the work you have for them in this city and in this area to bring people into your kingdom before you come. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.